Before I kick off episode 52, I wanted to share some exciting news about my new website at joshdamper.com, which is being constructed and will be launched soon. The site will have the Aspire podcast, blog posts, and a whole host of resources for educational leaders. I'll be kicking off the website with some giveaways, so make sure you are following me at Joshua Double Underscore Stamper on Twitter and Instagram for updates. I hope you enjoyed this week's interview with a fantastic educational leader. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I am so excited to have Jeff Kubiak on the show. Jeff is an elementary principal in Fairfield, California, speaker, consultant for Pushing Boundaries, and author of the new children's book, One Drop of Kindness. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Josh, for having me. Pleasure. And Jeff, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and I would love to hear your personal leadership journey on how you went from the classroom to an elementary principal. Yeah, it, it's kind of curious. My um, former principal, who is now my superintendent, told me X years back that, hey, I think you should go get your admin credential, and you know, you have some good leadership qualities. I try to do some leadership things as a teacher. And, nope, not for me. I'm never going to be a principal. You know, moving along, I kind of thought about it more and started taking classes. And the timing was always serendipitous. I mean, I was a full-time teacher, getting my credential, just had our first kid, lots of challenges there. But yeah, I think, you know, I, I was a swim coach for about 20 X years. And what you learn as a coach very much tied into what happened to me in my evolution, going from teacher, teacher, leader. Then I became a dean of students at a K-8 school, uh, AP at a K-4 school for a couple of years, and then I uh, became a principal. So this is my fifth full year as a principal. So I want to go back early in your educational career. What was one of the most challenging or impactful experiences you had that enhanced your skills as a leader? Looking back now, it was definitely my passion was taken over at times by certain emotions. I, I had a terrible educational experience as a kid, and by trying to do things different. And, and um, you know, I, I was overly passionate. I first kind of thought I would got to be like the, you know, Comanche dictator, compliance leader. And, you know, having kids clean out their desks and tipping them over and standing in line and being quiet. And after reflecting, it's like, whoa, I'm not engaging the kids. I'm not experiencing a relationship with them. That really got me to reflect that I got to know these kids. And if I know these kids, I'm not going to be yelling at them or, you know, have them stand in line for X minutes. What does that do for us? Nothing. So, you know, I, I, I really still hold to those values that it hurts me when I see teachers overextending the focus on that type of stuff. And so what was one of the biggest misconceptions you had moving from the classroom to an administrative role? Well, I, I had various principal styles over the years, and some of them never came into the classroom. Others were there all the time. So I always kind of thought, you know, if you're doing a good job as a teacher, you don't see the principal. You know, you're really not asked for anything. And then I just thought, okay, so the principals are in their office all the time, and that's if I needed someone, I would go get them. And <laughs> I try to do the opposite, you know, learning from who I consider, like, you know, the best, like, you know, Adam Welcome kind of was the first one to, you know, help me get out of the office and Todd Nesloni and Todd Schmidt. You know, there's so many amazing leaders that I've learned from that the best work is when I'm not inside. 
So in your experience as a principal, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Patience. I'm, uh, like I said, passionate at that time. It's really been trying at times to get me to be patient, step back, take a deep breath, be okay with saying I'm sorry, apologizing, and uh, hey, I'm on the journey with you, and we got to be wrong together. But you know that that quick response is something I've work in progress as of today. You know, mm-hmm. and I was curious on administrators' takes on the roles between AP and principal. What was that transition like for you? Well, it was pretty seamless because. The school I was at was very co-administrative. Um, it wasn't like I was the AP discipline only. You know, I was in classrooms. I, I did deal a lot with discipline and parents and stuff, but I, um, I was given just as much, you know, to uh, participate in staff development and curriculum and and helping to do some coaching um, in the classrooms and things like that. And so. I, I think probably the biggest learning, though, was understanding and overseeing a budget because I, I didn't have much exposure to that. And um, for me, that was not, nothing natural. I, you know, I didn't have that in high school, college, whatever. So that, w- that was a big chunk for me. And I know that there's obviously a business side of the position, but you also do a lot of fun things on your campus. What are some initiatives that you're really proud of? Well, over the years, I try to instill fun and get people to let their hair down. And so really focusing on inviting families in for anything we can and celebrating every single thing kids do. Um, So whether that's, you know, holding the flag and helping with the pledge or going into classes and being crazy and, you know, singing and celebrating and teachers kind of now expect, you know, I'll just show up and do a good news referral or grab someone and celebrate and kind of, you know, just being zany and crazy and unpredictable and someone that the students can look to and say, this guy is part of our team. You know, he's really in it with us. It's not just, you know, someone that comes and drags someone to the office. I always go to classrooms first or walk out on the yard. My office is a celebration place. You know, I've got bean bags and coloring and regulation stations. It's a fun place, you know, mm-hmm. so that's what I want to keep it as. Was that a pretty big mind shift for your teachers as you try to bring some more celebration and fun into the school? I believe so. I went from, well, I worked at Title I schools and then, uh, you know, very high performance, um, high achieving schools. But I think sometimes when I put my teacher hat on, we get so locked into doing, right? We've got to hit those standards. You've got to get through the curriculum. You've got to, you know, mandate, mandate, you know, everything like that. And we get lost sometimes and it's, you know, I want, I want my teachers to don't even crack a textbook the first couple of weeks, man, play games, get to know your kids, have fun with them, laugh, let them see you cry, laugh, tell a joke. And we're people and that <laughs> we're, we're leading people. And the big thing too, that I really focus on every day is we ask 800 kids at my school to change. Adults have to be malleable too. If we're not bending, moving and grooving, kids aren't going to want to either. And so as a leader on the campus, what are some techniques that you use to kind of help your teachers be continuous learners and trying to massage that idea of building that relationship? You know, I, I like to challenge teachers to get out of their classroom. We have a pineapple chart at our school. It's not super popular. You know, the same old teachers are typically putting their name up with the lesson. But, you know, anytime a teacher needs a break, needs to go next door and watch, uh, oh, how do I do my, you know, 30 minutes designated ELD instruction or whatever, I'll jump right in, um, give them a recess break if they need it. And just 
you know, you, you know, there's so much mental health massaging that needs to be done as a teacher. And if I can't support them, they can't support the kids. And so I really try to be cognizant and aware of that. And have you ever received criticism on your message or campus vision? And if so, how did you work through that? <laughs> Every day, bro. Uh, <laughs> my, well, my first big thing was got rid of accelerated reader and homework. And those, you know, those are talk about initiatives. So, you know, after reading Donalyn Miller's book and, and following people like Brandon Blom and Pernell Rip, she's like my hero. You know, we got to let kids read to love to read, not because they're getting, you know, a point for it or a little to token or whatever. Let's let them read because they love reading. And the parents were the biggest pushback. And, you know, especially with homework too, at the current school, you know, parents want the homework. Well, hey, there's the interweb, a new invention. You go there, get whatever you want, but kids need to play. It's, I mean, there's so much research that the only thing that makes a difference is reading, you know, kind of through sixth grade. And, you know, you look at Hattie's work and um, Alice Keeler and, you know, I just, and, you know, of course, Matt Miller, yep. uh, we, we got to let them be kids. And reading is so critical with, to, from, all that kind of stuff. But kids are in school seven hours. They need to play. They need to do sports. They need to do their music, their art, their band, church, wh whatever it is. But we, we got to keep them well-rounded because, you know, you look at what, like, people, David Kulberhouse and John Carippo are doing right now. We're, we're not future ready, like people say. And we're falling too far behind that our, the real world is not something we know of anymore. And by that, I mean, th this is our real world. It's not laden with homework. You know, you look at the colleges now, uh, entrances are going down. And, and it's just, it's, it's, a different, it's a different stake to cut, you know. Yeah, with that future-ready idea and how you're talking about education shifting, what is one area that you really want to change in education? I want more play. I, I want, because with that play comes the ingenuity, the creativity, the flexibility. I mean, you look at some of these Japanese playgrounds in kindergarten and first and second grade. Dude, they're like Magic Mountain or Disneyland, you know, and the kids are out there doing all the time. And then they're ready to learn or work and iterate themselves. And, you know, I believe so much also with what R Rebecca Cota and Rick Jett are doing with, you know, let them speak. Kids have to have a voice in what we're doing because they're driving the ship. You know, when our fourth graders right now graduate from high school, who knows what they're doing? We don't. And I, I think it's super important that we've got to allow them in the driver's seat once in a while. And what do you do on your campus to increase student voice? Well, we have student council, and I, so for example, I had uh, three fifth grade girls a couple months ago. Um, they know my push for kindness and said, hey, Mr. K, can we start a kind of club? Boom, done. So it's called Monday Kindness Crew with a K. So every Wednesday, I have a group of kids. We just do community service, and this week, uh, this week we're going to do a kind of a kindness uh, surprise for the teachers. I won't say it. That's voice. And then student council, they, they pick the spirit days. You know, the traits of the month we focus on are 21st century traits. It's not, you know, it's not like, not the character counts isn't a great program, but, you know, it's all always the same. I don't like rigidity. Um, let's have some flexibility and, and try things that outside thinkers or our gate kids or our EL kids are going to feel comfortable with too. And I have some teachers that are killing it, man. They, they're great with the voice. And the teachers are really open to that. And, man, you go in those classrooms, it's just beautiful. 
In addition to kindness, I know equity is a big topic for you. What are some of the largest trials you've had in your work on equity? Walking into a classroom feeling like I'm in uh, 1893. I feel like I'm in sometimes a production warehouse where we've got our rows. We have our desks. We don't have one flexible choice. Instruction is direct all the time. Every child receives the same instruction. That just, I mean, that's like vomit on a cup for me because that was me as a kid. I, I don't get it. Help me understand. I couldn't sit still. I had ADHD before it was even noted, right? But, you know, I was getting in trouble. I got suspended. Fifth grade teacher banged my head against the wall. Didn't like, I, I, I wasn't right for the system. And so we need to put the kids into the system that works for them, not putting the kids in the system that works for how we think it should be. And so, you know, I always go back to the old adage, like we give every kid a pair of shoes. Well, that's, that's equality, but do they fit? And so Josh might need hiking boots. Hey, I might need tennis shoes. Someone else needs flip-flops. What is it that every single kid will have at the end of the day that challenges, supports, and gets them to think the way they want? For those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Listen, ask a ton of questions. Follow people that you admire on Twitter, connect with them. There's so many amazing people out there. And it's not always just, you know, like the big names. There's so many incredible principles like in the Midwest and just kind of that you don't know about that are just doing beautiful things. You see their videos, you see their tweets, you see them on chats and that, man, they're really doing some neat things, but you got to listen. And Twitter is the best place to listen. Um, So you got all these amazing podcasts like yours. You got books, you got Twitter chats galore. And then find some, you know, other leaders either in your district or, hey, I live in Northern California. Amy Fast is this epic principal up in McMillanville. Hey, can I come up and see what you're doing? I'm sure she would say yes, right? So we only get better by helping people get better. And for those who do not hold a leadership position, what are some other ways our aspiring leaders can make an immediate impact? Well, so I maybe have like a fifth grade teacher, Josh, you know, you got to like do an interest survey with them. Like, where are your strengths, man? And, you know, the whole strength finder thing. And, hey, Jeff, I really, you know, I dig robotics and coding or, you know, I dig piano. Like, okay, let's find a way for you to figure it out. What do you want to do with that? Well, can I do something at lunch or after school or before school? Yeah, whatever you want to do. And if I don't have the money, I'll find it. We have a supportive parent board. We can get a grant. We can hook you up with another company. But, you know, you get these teachers that have these passion projects, let them go, man. It's like the kid, right? We need to do with the teachers that we want the teachers to do with the kids. It's not always happening. So, yes, we want teachers to ask us. But at the same time, I got to see, like, what do you really love? Let's make a way to, to, to get it to happen. You know, we have a ukulele club. We have a coding club run by high school uh, kids that were former students. All these different student-ish things that are uh, the kid pick. And that's the way it should be. And talking about a passion project, I know a lot of your passion comes into kindness. You've latched onto that topic through social media and a whole host of things, your new book. So what led you to that topic of kindness? Well, it seems to me that it's something that should be embedded in every school. And I don't think it's there. I think we have a whole and unfortunately, I believe the leadership in this country could be more kind with their words and actions. And I think that goes across the world, right? So if we instill it into the bricks and mortar of our preschools and make it part of our SEL curriculum, and it, you know, it's like 
the, the kindness to me is like steam or stem. It's not like a 20 minute or a genius hour thing. It's, it's all day. We've got a model. We've got to let kids do the wrong thing. We've got to read stories. We've got to show them, video them, let them have their own kindness, passion projects. It's just like, we should be embedding steam and STEM into our work every day. And so if we can use the same language across the board and use the same mantras and the same go-tos, then I believe it gets embedded in the kids and they can go home and, you know, you got dad yelling at the TV or whatever, the, you know, hey, dad, you know, at school, I learned we should blah, 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 blah. That's great. What a conversation, right? Instead of the kid coming to school, being so angry, drop, dropping F-bombs and saying, I don't like blue people, you know, switch it around. Embed it in those little guys, man. They're the ones that want it. We need to give it to them. You have a brand new book coming out. For those who haven't had the opportunity to read One Drop of Kindness, can you give us a quick synopsis for our aspiring leaders? Yeah, this is uh, it's a fun book. It's a children's picture book. Thanks to Sarah at EduMatch. It's helping me bring it true. And um, kindness, you know, for some of us is super easy. Other people, it's very difficult. And it's a story about a boy named Gus who has had a rough life. Gone from home to home, school to school. And he's in an area that they just don't know kindness until something happens. Uh, someone shows up at their school and shows him the way to his heart and finding that really it just takes one drop of kindness to change a heart and to bring love to that heart. And um, so there's some metaphorical uh, statements and things in there. And uh, I believe it has a really, really good message for anyone and it can be relatable to anyone and there's um you know some neat activities and things like that but it's everyone has a gus at every single school it could be a girl a boy a dog a cat doesn't matter but there's a gus at every school and we need to find that gus and help them show that it only takes one drop of kindness in addition to your admin position you speak at conferences you blog and you're very active on social media how did you find your voice beyond your district just learning and getting connected. Twitter, for sure. My first kind of my first group was uh, Principles in Action Voxer group, and I got jumped into Voxer and just took off and started. I reached out to everyone, and some people would connect with me, others didn't. But I wanted to find like-minded people, and so I just kept reaching out, reaching out, watching videos, following, reading. I know a lot of the Burgess authors. I love Dave's books. And now, you know, there's so many other uh, publishers in the game now that are bringing great messages and books uh, to the table. And I, I think it's just so neat that we have such an array and a, a vast assortment at this wonderful um, restaurant we have to, to pick and choose. And it's, it's neat to celebrate each other. And in closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? Watching teachers laugh with students because kids are getting what they need and they're changing. You know, it goes with what Adam and Todd started with kids deserve it, but it's so much deeper that I get, I get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of the journey for kids and teachers to change every day and just grow. And that only makes me grow more as a, you know, as a parent, as a husband, as, as a leader and an educator. Love it. Love it. Jeff, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? I'm at Twitter at Jeffrey Kubiak, Voxer, Jay Kubiak, and uh, Instagram is Aquacube, A Q A K U B E. 
Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast, and if you've gotten any value from the show at all, please subscribe and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening. Don't forget to use the Aspire League hashtag as you continue the conversation on social media. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the program. Josh, pleasure. Honored. Thank you very much, my friend.